Uh, welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. We know it takes courage coming to a new place. And so thanks for tuning in online. If you are doing that from home, uh, we are glad to, to kind of gather and to celebrate together tonight as folks are making their way in and dropping kids off. Uh, I just want to highlight a couple different things and one new one that no one knows about yet, but I think you'll enjoy. So if you are new online, uh, we have an awesome host, Matt, uh, our ministry assistant's hosting tonight. And so you can wave at him, say hi to him. Uh, and if, if you need prayer tonight, Matt would be happy to pray with you, help you do anything. If you are new, we'd love to invite you to download our app. It's free. Just go to your app store, download Element City Church. You'll see like a big giant E. Hits that one. And then you can fill out the connection card or you can text hello if you are new to our phone number, our text number, which is 520-340-6868. Does anyone else say 520? Like it's O instead of zero. But I just do that. I don't know why I do that. But it's not O, literally. It's zero. Anyway, you get it. Uh, but so we're glad to have you here. If you're new, text hello to that number. Uh, we'll get signed up that way. We'd love to invite you to the 10-minute party in the back at the end of the service. I'll meet you there. And I'm telling you, we have the best kettle corn for you. The best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. And I had that confirmed this last week by one of our newer guests who said, hey, that really was good. I'm telling you, it's that good. So if that's you or if that's you online, um, I guess we'll try to get you popcorn or something like that. So here's the new thing. Uh, if you open up the app, you can scroll down, and about halfway down, you'll see a black tile here that says, Get Elements Gear Here. We are getting ready to do a new uh, edition of our T-shirt for Element City Church. You can kind of see the logo here. It's kind of the state of Arizona with a sunset design type deal. And we're going to do collecting that. So we're doing all pre-orders for the next month. Uh, and then we'll order it at the end of July. It'll get here kind of mid-August. Uh, and so if you are interested in that, you can go to the app and you can kind of pre-register and get uh, confirmed. You can pay for your T-shirt. Then you'll get it here in another month or so. And we ordered that. So sound good? So Element Swag, that's pretty sweet. So uh, you can get a part of that. If you're here in the house, why don't you stand up right where you're at? We're going to pray as we start this evening. If you're at home, scouts honor if you stand up or not. Uh, but we're going to pray for the Springs Church, which is our good friend, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Brandon. If you never met Brandon, Brandon was a part of Elements for a while and uh, is the executive pastor over there at the Springs Church and Continental Ranch. And so we're praying for their church tonight. We kind of pray for a different church of the week every single week because the mission that God has for us is bigger than one church. And so we believe in the, in the church here in Tucson, and we want to pray a blessing over them and over us as we dive in tonight. So pray with me. So Father, we want to lift up the Springs Church to you. And uh, Jeff and Brandon and their whole team uh, there, we know that they've just got a heart to reach Continental Ranch and to, to share the gospel and advance your uh, good in the world there. And so we pray your blessing over them uh, from everything from the resources they need to the people and, and to the ways that they go about uh, bringing your kingdom to bear in the heart of Continental Ranch. And so we pray your blessing over them. We ask that you would be active in their church and in the, uh, in the opportunities that you put before them. And we pray that your activity would be here tonight also. We want to tune in to have an experience and encounter with you. And so we're asking that your spirit would move. Every single one of us is coming from a different place and we're, we're kind of parked right here right now and we're asking that you would meet with us this evening. As we look into your word, as we worship you, God, would we encounter you? We invite you and we invite ourselves into the process of experiencing you tonight. And all of God's people said, amen.
was buried beneath my shame Who could carry the kind of weight It was my tomb Till I made I was breathing the night alive All my failures I tried
thousand generations, you are worthy, Lord of all. And to you, the slain and risen King, we lift a voice to heaven, singing worthy, Lord of all. You're the Lord of all. Father, as we, we sit here and or we stand here, we sing, we present these praises to you. God, we're reminded, man, that all throughout history, all throughout history, we join the praises of your people, of your steadfast disciples, of the true followers of your son, Jesus. We join this beautiful song with them. We join in a beautiful song with so many around the world. This fire that for some reason the world has never been able to put out. We pray that that fire would continue to burn brighter and brighter. And although in these days it seems, can seem so dark, with so many misconceptions, so many poor recreations or redefinitions of Christianity. But God, I pray for this church. I pray for your people in this place that we would know your son, Jesus, and we would reflect who he is as best we can We praise you, you are so worthy of our praise, so worthy of our lives, of our hearts. God, I ask as you move here tonight, we know that you've inhabited these praises, Lord, and that you have plans to move in each person who's walked through these doors, Lord. We wanna look more like Jesus, show us how to do that. Strengthen us, move us, build momentum in our lives to truly be your followers and nothing else. No facade, no paint, no wax, but real. That's our prayer here tonight, Lord. Move, take us there. thank you. I thank you so much for each person who stepped into these walls. Renew us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. good to worship together, and uh, I hope whether you're tuning in online or, or watching later this week or you're sitting here that 
you know, part of what we try to do on a Sunday night as we're gathered uh, or gathering even online is just to have a moment that, um, I don't know about you, but I, I can't recreate in my car. I can't recreate in my own, uh, I can worship uh, and I can have moments with God, but there's something about being together and having a, a, a moment that it's all of us experiencing, and that's what we long for this to be every Sunday night, and we kind of talk about that as a spiritual kind of pit stop for the week ahead, and so we are thrilled to have you tuning in with us. Uh, a couple housekeeping things, uh, Lyle and Anya are getting some time away, and we're, we're, we just bless them in that. Uh, he'll be back next week and starting a whole new series in the book of Habakkuk. And that does sound like you sneezed, and we say bless you. Um, but if you've never read that book, it's in the Old Testament, and you're going to get to hear all about it in the month of July. So I invite you to be a part of that. We've been looking into Proverbs this month here in the month of June, and that's where I want to kind of circle back and kind of give us a little bit of a recap. Invite you uh, to tune in through the app if you've missed any of these weeks, because I think they're really practical. Because the truth is, you've all had people pour wisdom into you, whether you accepted it or received it or just kind of rejected it or, or ignored it. You've had people give wisdom to you. We know that we live in an age where we have access to all kinds of information. You could pull out your smartphone and, and know just about anything about everything in the world in a matter of seconds. But what we do know is that wisdom is actually greater than just information. And, and there's a strength in wisdom that we're to gain and to grow with. And so week one, we kind of looked at this idea of make it, uh, make it part of your life goal to seek wisdom like a treasure. Like to, to go after it and hunt for it because you'll be the one who's blessed as you do that. In fact, we challenged us in this month to read the proverb of the day. Today is June 27th. So guess what chapter of Proverbs you would read today? You guys get smarter every week, I'm telling you. Uh, so like, yes, and maybe you would make this a goal that maybe once or twice a year you would set aside and say, hey, I'm going to read through Proverbs. We, I know I've heard from people who are like, I never read Proverbs at all. I never even know it was in the Bible. Um, but here's the truth. There's something about Proverbs that has some wisdom that will help bless your life, your relationships. That's what we looked at week two is just relational wisdom. How do you have healthy, kind of fulfilled relationships with your family, with coworkers, with people? How do you grow that? And we looked at that in week two. Last week, we looked at this idea of how do you have wisdom around wealth? Because the truth is, you spend money. You have to navigate money. I have to navigate money. And so how do you have wisdom around this whole idea of money? And what does it look like to be uh, a manager God's way versus just trying to see myself as an owner all the time? And, and I hope that you gain some insight from that. For some of you, you may have heard that before. For others of you, that may have been brand new to kind of hear, oh, God, God has some insight and some wisdom about how to navigate wealth. And, and today, I want us to kind of recap and just look into what it means to have wisdom in our decision-making. How many of you have to make decisions? Yeah, if you raised your hand, you just made one, okay? So, like, we all have to navigate decisions in life, and we want to look at this wisdom that we can gain about our decision-making. Here's what we said in the series so far. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves in. Eugene Peterson said that, that we said wisdom isn't automatic, but it can be acquired if we pursue it, if we go after it and seek it. We kind of gave a different definition to wisdom when we said wisdom is the ability to do the right thing, the good thing, and the godly thing 
in the moment that you're in. At the end of the day, for me, I want to get better at doing the right thing and the good thing and the godly thing in every moment I'm in. And my hunch is you do too. There's a part of you that wants that. And so that means you live with wisdom. Now, when it comes to decision-making, the truth about maybe this last year is you may resonate with this statement. Do you ever get tired of making decisions? Do you ever have decision fatigue? I think, I think that's our world right now. If you think about it, the reality is every one of us has been on edge for the last year plus, having to navigate something that we never saw coming and that none of us has been through before. And so we've had to to kind of go into this idea. It's kind of like when you're on a sports team, right, a football team, and and the play comes in from the sidelines, and it's kind of radioed into the quarterback, and and they say, here's our play, and they walk up to the line, and they do that play, right? I don't have to make a decision. The decision's been made for me. Here's what we're going to do. But if you remember Peyton Manning, he'd get up to the the line of scrimmage, and he'd yell what? Omaha. Omaha! Like, no one knows what Omaha means. But apparently, the other 10 players on his team knew what that meant because he would call an audible. And the reality is, I bet you have felt like the last year of your life, you've been calling an audible every day. And so you may have, like, decision fatigue in the sense of, I've got to make this decision. I've got to make this decision. I bet your decisions you have questioned. I bet you've questioned the decisions of others. Let me be honest. Do you think running an organization and making decisions for an organization that some people agree with your decisions and some people don't? And it happens simultaneously. That's the reality of a business or an organization or a family, right? That when you make decisions, it has ramifications and it has drawbacks. And sometimes that can get really tiring. Just like when you work out really hard or you uh, kind of overextend yourself doing yard work or whatever it may be, your body gets drained, right? And so you have to have rest and replenishment for that. Neurologically, it's the same thing. When you stretch yourselves, having to make decisions all the time, and to make those decisions, if you're not replenishing yourself, you're probably suffering from decision fatigue because you haven't been replenished. And so the the challenge for all of us is to say, how do we get better? Because here's the truth about the reality, no matter what decision fatigue you might have, guess what? You still got to make decisions. That is the reality called life right? So no matter how tired I get making decisions, I'm still forced to actually have to make decisions. And so what if there's some wisdom for us that the Bible has to say, the scriptures kind of lay out, about how to make better decisions? I'm actually more excited about this talk than the last three. Because I believe that if you are 16 to 26 and you begin to understand this, it will radically change your life. I mean that. I'm not just blowing smoke here. I believe if you're 78, and I bet you look back and you hear what we're going to hear tonight, and you go, I wish I would have heard this 50 years ago. 
But you know what? You have to still make decisions now. And so what if you begin using these filters and these insights to help you get wise about making decisions? And so tonight's going to be really, really practical. I'm going to lay out three rights, R-I-G-H-T-S, three rights. Here's the right uh, kind of the right thing that you need to approach decision-making with. I want to dismiss a myth that I think is out there, and we may, you may fall into it at times or believing that. And then I want to look at five key questions that if you begin to ask yourself and use these as a filter as you have to make decisions in life. I'm not talking about, like, what socks you have to wear. I trust that you can do that, okay? I believe in you. You answered 27 for 27. You have the talent to pick out your socks, okay? So I'm talking about like the more uh, magnitude kind of decisions of life that we all have to navigate. It might be with wealth. It might be with your relationships. It might be with decision-making and trajectory of your future and all of those things because we all have to navigate through that. And so here's the three rights. Are you ready? So the one is you want to be a person that has the right posture. You want to be a person who has the right posture. It's a posture of humility. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, here's the challenge. I want to invite you to memorize this. Some of you have this. Some of you are like, okay, I've, I've stayed out of Proverbs. I don't know. Well, here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight, or, or he will show you the way to go, some translations say. Meaning, trusting in the Lord. It's a posture that we all take. Now, I don't know if you knew, I played an instrument in middle school and uh, in high school days. Anyone want to take a wild guess what instrument I played? None of those. Saxophone. I played saxophone, okay? It was cool. I was Kenny G before Kenny G. So, like, saxophone, actually, I wasn't that good, and I didn't have the flow. So, um, but I was okay at it, and, and I played that, and what my band instructor would always come alongside, he would teach you this. How many of you like to sit like this sometimes? You know, I do. You know why? Because it's comfortable, okay? That's why we do it. Uh, but that's not the way to play an instrument. And so the band instructor would walk around, and they would work on our posture, because our posture actually opens up our lungs, helps us have better instrument ability, whatever word they put for that. But we are able to do better at the task that we have. When I was in baseball, I would get into the batter's box, and my coach would work on my posture. Why? Because you can't hit the ball if you're standing all weird, Right? Like, you've got to be lined up the right way, and you have to not back out of the box. I was the kid who always backed out of the box. You know why? Because the ball's hard, and it hurts when it hits you, right? And so, like, I was that kid. And so that kid, what the coach would do, would put a baseball bat behind me so that when I stepped back, I'd fall on my butt. I'd get tired of falling on my butt, and then I would stay in there. He was working on my posture. Here's the truth about decision-making. You can decide to have your posture that you want. I got this, God. I don't need you. I'm going to lean on my own understanding. I got it. I'll figure it out. You can do that. But here's what the scriptures say. I don't think that'll take you long-term where you actually want to go. And what the scriptures are saying, no, no, no. You need to trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding only. 
You need to have the right kind of posture. And a posture of humility and seeking God's insight and his wisdom and his thoughts about decision-making is important and imperative for you as a follower of Christ. Now, you may be here and not a follower of Christ, and you're just kind of searching out spiritual things, and i got to tell you, I'm so proud of you for being here, proud of you for tuning in, because I know it takes courage to begin to have those kind of conversations internally. What is real, and what do I need to seek after, and is there a greater God who oversees all things? And that's awesome. Keep pursuing that. Our prayer is that you would be surprised by the creator of the universe who actually knows your name and who actually loves you and wants to have a relationship with you and that he longs for you to actually get to a place where you would trust in him and that you would not have to try to do life all on your own and that you would live with a teachable spirit. See, teachability is the primary fruit of humility. When we have an open heart uh, to learn from others, we're in a position and a posture to receive wisdom from God and others. And so it takes humility. Learners become leaders, and leaders are always learners. And so it is this challenge, this invitation to stay humble before God. Have the right posture. Get the right people around you. The very first week, we had four chairs up here, remember? Remember? And we had one chair, we said in Proverbs, there's four kinds of people. There's the simple, the naive, and you don't want to sit in that chair. In fact, you decide what chair you sit in, and you'll move back and forth, but you don't want to sit in the naive seat. You don't want to be a fool either. Because a fool just charges forward, has no wisdom, no insight at all, and just does things, and, and the consequences fall. You don't want to be that person. And you don't want to get to the person where you're just a mocker and you're negative about everything. And you're making fun of the people and yourself and you're in a bad posture. You're in a bad seat. You don't want to be that. What you want is to be wise because it'll actually help you. And when you have the right people, hello, the right wise people around you, then you can lean into them. And they can help you process decisions that you have to make. You want right people, wise people around you, whether that's family or friends or whomever in your e-group, who you can process the decisions of life with, and you can get their insight. Because the truth is, you have blind spots, and so do I. Though we don't see everything clearly. We can try, and we can get better at that, but we miss things. And sometimes we don't see it accurately. And so having the right kind of people around you that you can ask questions. For some of you, we talked a couple weeks ago that you love being an introvert and you can go days without talking to people. Here's the problem with getting the right kind of people around you. You actually have to talk to them. You actually have to process information. Hey, I'm thinking about this new job and I think it would be a fit for me. Hey, I'm thinking about this, doing this with my life. I'm thinking about making these decisions. What do you all think? And you ask the right kind of people who can speak into your life, who can help you with that, and you begin to process. Here's what Proverbs 12:15 says. A fool's way is right in their own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 15. Or from God himself, the psalmist writes, Psalm 32 Speaking of God, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. 
And so we want to process with the right people and with God himself because he's the one that can actually help us make right decisions and the best decisions in the moments we're in. We want to have a right posture. We want to process with the right kind of people. And we want to be in the right kind of place as we make decisions. Here's what I mean by that. The right place internally. I'm not talking about the right place circumstantially or situationally. I'm talking about the right place for you in order to make wise and best decisions. Meaning, if you're exhausted because you've been running like crazy, that's probably not the time to make a big life-altering decision. Because you're tired. Maybe the best thing for you to do is take a nap or to get 12 hours of sleep. Maybe for you, it's you need to get replenished. You need to be in the right kind of place. We live in a culture where you run, 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 and there's noise, 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 and maybe solitude would be the best advice I could give you to get away for half a day and just listen and create space for yourself to be able to process your feelings and your thoughts and the things that you've processed with other people and to listen in and lean into who God is and what he's saying about life. And it may be that he hasn't made it abundantly clear. It hasn't spelled out in scripture, do this. But maybe you have seen themes happen throughout your life that you want to lean back into. You want to have self-awareness when it comes to making decisions. You don't want to be too late, like up way too late making decisions. You don't want to be, feel too pressured or too stressed. You want to be in the right kind of place internally for that. They tell pastors, don't ever quit on a Monday. Guess why? Because you're drained on Monday. Because you've poured yourself out into people. And so don't make big decisions on Monday. For those of you who may work Monday through Friday, you know the worst time to make a giant life-altering decision? Probably Friday at 4 p.m. Because you're probably tired of people at that point. You're tired of yourself even. And you don't like the projects you're working on. You're frustrated. Well, then that's not the time to make a big-time decision. And so you want to get at the right place. You want to have the right posture. You want to have the right kind of people around that you're processing with. And you want to be at the right kind of place. Uh, Going back to last week about money, Amy and I made this decision early on in our marriage. I may have shared this in the past. Like, we didn't spend over $100 on something unless we slept on it. And here's what that means. So I'm at the, the store, and I'm like, that's an awesome grill. Everybody needs that kind of grill. Our life would be better with that grill. And so I'm going to make that decision to buy it. No, no, it's over 100 bucks. Okay, we'll sleep on it. The next morning, you know what? That would have been really dumb, spend all that money on that grill. Because we have to send our kids to camp and we have to do this. You know. Like, you have to be in the right place. Sometimes the best thing you can do is sleep on a decision. Because you see it differently. Maybe the next morning after you're refreshed a little bit. Because you've gotten yourself to the right kind of place to be there. So those are some right things that you need to do as you want to grow to make better decisions. I want to dismiss a myth that I think is out there sometimes. I think as followers of Jesus, we can get to the place where we feel like, okay, if I just stay in tune with God, then every decision will be easy. In fact, it'll be like God's making the decision for me, and I don't have to work at it. That is a myth, Why? Because that's not real life. 
that's like a fairy tale. Like a Disney made that up. So it's not real in that. Uh, would it be a good thing, let's say those of you who are parents, uh, when your child is one, I bet you're making 99% of the decisions for them. True? Okay. Why? Because it would be dumb to let a one-year-old make 99% of the decisions, correct? The answer would be yes, okay? Like, that would be dumb, okay? But if your kid turns 30 and you're still making 99% of the decisions, do you know what we call that? Bad parenting. That's what we call that. Codependency. Like, to the nth degree, that's what we call that. See, as a parent, what I want for my kids is to have a good life. And I want them to make good decisions. And so I want to pour into them the best I possibly can. And I want to coach them along the way. But along the way, I'm beginning to let them make decisions. Why? Because I, they need to learn. That sometimes you make dumb decisions and you have regrets and there's consequences that come with that. And you know what? That's called life. And I had to learn that, and so did they. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to love Jesus. And so I want to help coach those decisions. But at the end of the day, they have to make that decision. I can't make that for them. And see, as a parent, we understand that kids, as they grow, they have to make their own decisions. Like, that's indispensable about being human. And I think God feels the same way. I think at the end of the day, God loves for his kids to grow up and mature and to develop and to get better at making decisions. And so he allows us to make decisions. Sometimes his decisions are really clear. It's spelled out in God's scripture. Don't do this. Do this. This is better for you. Sometimes it's gray. And you know what God does in those moments? You choose. You choose. It may not be black or white. You choose. I think that's what good parents do. And sometimes we make a wrong decision, and we get to backtrack and try to make a better decision. Anyone ever done that before? Yeah, everybody in here. And so the truth is, we want to get better at making decisions. I want my kids to become good people, and that requires that you have to think things out and exercise judgment. And sometimes you have to make difficult decisions in the face of uncertainty. And you have to take accountability for your life, and you have to learn, and you have to grow, and it's all of the above. And so it's a myth to think that God's going to bail me out of every single decision, and I will never struggle with it. I'll be stress-free in decision-makings. No. God's given you a brain. And he's given you life skills and abilities. And he's put good people around you, hopefully. And you've cultivated good people around you. And he's saying, listen, be wise. Get good counsel. Follow my way. I'll show you as you lean into me if you trust me. If you'll lean not on your own understanding only. And you'll look to me. And you'll get yourself in the right kind of posture, in the right kind of place as we make decisions. I'll help guide you in that. But you know what? Part of this is your decision. And it's okay for it to be your decision. And it's okay for it to be challenging at times. Because it will actually be part of the process that helps you grow and helps you mature. That helps you get to that place. Uh, there was a, <clears throat> a story told of a CEO 
that took over uh, as a new job and the outgoing CEO stopped her and said, listen, sometimes you're going to make wrong choices. You will. You'll mess up. When that happens, I have prepared three envelopes for you in the top left drawer. So you're to refer to them like the first mistake, refer to envelope number one, second envelope number two, so on. You, you kind of get it. So she takes over as the CEO and she's leading this company and things are going really well and then makes a mistake and so she remembers the envelopes and goes to the drawer, pulls out envelope number one that says, blame me. And so she does. That former CEO set me up this way and I don't understand the thing and so I'm just, and people buy it. They're like, yeah, you're right. So she goes on, she keeps leading, things are going well, makes another mistake, goes to envelope number two, and it says, blame the board. That board, I inherited that board, I didn't really choose that board, and so that board just kind of there, and people are like, yeah, you're right, you're right, totally right. And so they just keep leading, she keeps leading, things are going pretty well, makes a third mistake, goes to envelope number three, and it says, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> Here's the truth. Sometimes... We have to get to the place where we understand, i got to take responsibility, and I can't blame. I can't pass the book. i got to own that. And, and so part of decision-making is owning the decisions and realizing that it's not always something else, and so you have to learn with that. Be wise. Get good counsel. Be rested. Be healthy. Make those decisions, and God will be with you in the mix of all things. He'll guide you every step of the way. The interesting thing about decision-making, especially in our culture, is that research was done just a few years ago uh, between 100 American college students and 100 Japanese college students. And researchers asked them, hey, on one side of the paper, would you write out all the decisions that you want to make for yourself in life? And on the back side of the paper, write out all the decisions you'd like someone else to make on your behalf. And the fascinating part is that Americans, more than four times the amount, wanted to make their own decisions and no one else to tell them what to do or to make decisions for them, which isn't a bad thing, but it left a columnist, David Brooks, to write this. He writes, Americans now have more choices over more things than any other culture in human history. We could choose between broader array of foods and media sources, lifestyles, and to the nth degree decisions that we can make. And in some ways, that's a positive trend. But he also cautions, it's becoming incredibly important to learn how to decide well. See, it's wisdom that's needed more than just information. So how do you decide well? So with the time I got left, here's what I want to walk through. One simple truth and five key questions. The truth is this. Your decisions, your decisions will lead you and determine the direction of your life. And the direction you take will ultimately determine the destination and your outcomes. Your decisions, the ones you're building day after day after day, will determine the direction your life goes. And that will ultimately determine the destination you end up at. So it's important to make good decisions. Here's uh, the book I'm going to recommend for you is Andy Stanley wrote a book called Better Questions, Fewer Regrets. I wish I would have read this in my teens and my 20s. He just wrote it a couple years ago, so I couldn't have. But you can. And if you're in your 20s, I'm telling you, go buy this book and actually read it. I'm going to give you a recap. 
but you will learn how to make the kind of decisions, the kind of decisions you want so that you end up where you want to be when you're 70, 80, 90 years old. Because it's the decisions you make day after day, week after week, that will help determine the direction in which you go. And here's the five questions. I'm going to give them all to you. He talks about the premise of good questions leads to better decisions, and better decisions leads to fewer regrets. I put all five questions up here so you can actually take a picture of it so you can know. But I'm going to kind of walk through these uh, a little bit, each one. The integrity question. Question number one, the integrity question. Am I being honest with myself, really? If we're honest, we are people who like to rationalize things. Anyone ever done that? Anyone ever tried to justify stuff? You may not say it out loud to other people, but internally, you're like, oh, I deserve this. Oh, yeah, here's why. Um, and like, you have a list and bullet points and rationalization out the wazoo. You've built the case. You're a great lawyer, and you never went to school. And the question is, are you being honest with yourself, really. See, so many of our decisions that we make, I bet often, are because we've rationalized it or justified it, and we're not really truly being honest with ourselves. One of the greatest gifts my mom ever gave me, uh, she passed away about 15 years ago. I hated it when I was a kid. I've told you this story before. I had a thinking chair. I didn't like the thinking chair. But my mom would say, so like I would walk up to my brother and I would hit him. Because that's what boys do, I guess. And my mom would say, hey, why'd you hit your brother? And I said, well, I don't know. Oh, time for the thinking chair. No, not that thinking chair. I don't want to sit in the thinking chair. And so I'd have to go sit in the thinking chair until I would get up and go tell her why I did what I did. And so you know what I would do? I would go sit in the thinking chair and I would think of excuses. I know why I did it. I did it because of this. And then we go tell her, oh, this is why I did it. And she'd say, no, you didn't. That's not right. You're lying. Go sit in the thinking chair. Dang it. Um, and eventually, after half an hour of stubbornness, because I was pretty stubborn and still am, I would go, uh, I hit him because last night he was teasing me. And I just, you know, I woke up in a bad mood and I'm just tired of him. Okay, you can go play. What? All I had to do was tell you the truth? Yeah. At 50, I appreciate that more than you'll ever know. Because I, for the most part, understand why I do what I do. And there's parts of it where I'll look in the mirror at myself and go, that's really ugly and dark, dude. But at least I'm being honest with myself. For many people, they never get honest with themselves. And so they never really make decisions that they really need to make because they're dishonest, even with themselves. And when you're dishonest with yourself, you'll have a hard time being honest with God. But you know what God loves? Honesty. And he doesn't turn you away. He actually says, okay, thanks for being honest. Now let's go to work on some of that dark stuff because that's not healthy for you. Yeah, you're right. And so are you being honest with yourself, really? That's a fair question to ask yourself. The legacy question, what story do I want to tell? 
down the road. See, decision by decision, you are writing the story of your life, and when you make, uh, are making those decisions of magnitude, you owe it to yourself to pause and to look ahead and you ask yourself, what story do you want to tell? The fascinating look about this is, is Joseph in the Old Testament. If you think about Joseph's life, maybe you don't know much of Joseph's life. It's the tail end of Genesis. Uh, we read about Joseph. Joseph had very little self-awareness in the beginning. Look at me, I'm awesome. That's kind of how he walked around. Why? Because his dad said, you're the best kid. I've got 12, but you're the best. And he said that, not to the other 11, just to him. And so he told his brothers that. You know what his brothers did? Threw him in a pit. And then eventually wanted to kill him and then sold him off into slavery. You thought your family was messed up. That's messed up, right? And then Joseph sold into slavery. And in those moments, in total aloneness, he actually makes a decision to say, I'm going to live for a bigger story. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do my best in that, even in this cruddy situation. And he's raised up in power. He begins to oversee Potiphar's estate. And then Potiphar's wife hits on him. And he's like, I could choose this, but I want to live for a better story, and so I'm not going to choose this. And then he runs, and life doesn't go great for him, and he's back in the jail. And then eventually, when you walk Joseph's story out, he actually becomes prime minister of Egypt and saves the country. All because he decided, I want to live to honor God and live for a better, better story. And so he wants to do this. And so God takes him to a place where he says, like, what story do you want to tell? The conscious question, your conscience. Is there a tension that deserves your attention? Is there a tension in life that gets stirred up that actually deserves your attention to pay attention to? One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. It's a fascinating story. It's King David. He's been anointed king. King Saul is actually the king of Israel. Things are going okay, but we don't know exactly when David's going to take over, and Saul has him come into the palace, and eventually Saul's like, you know what, I think I'm kind of tired of you, and he throws a spear at him, he tries to kill him. And then David takes off, and then Saul actually hunts David, not to, like give him a parting gift, like to actually kill him. So he's hunting him. So David, for 10 years or so, is on the run, and he one day finds himself in the back of a cave with all of his boys and his posse there. And Saul has some bad Taco Bell and has to wander into the cave to take care of business. And David's men look at David and say, this is the moment the Lord has provided. Kill him. And then our story will take a different trajectory and off into the kingdom we go. And David begins to creep up to Saul and somewhere in that moment... There's a tension going off inside of David, and he actually paid attention to it. And he cuts off part of Saul's robe. Saul wanders out. David comes out to the mouth of the cave, and he yells to him, Saul. And Saul goes, wait a minute, that's the cave I was just in. What? I'm not dead? And David says, may the Lord judge between us who's right and who's wrong. You've been hunting me, but as my hand, I will not touch you. I'm not going to hunt you, Saul. So let the Lord judge between us. It's a fascinating story. And into that moment, David paid attention to the tension that was being stirred up in him. Listen, if there's a tension that's stirring up in you, then don't go forward with a decision. 
take a moment, pause. Why is that tension stirring up? What is God might be showing you? You have a conscience for a reason. Maybe God's trying to get your attention with the tension that's there. The maturity question. What is the wise thing to do? Not the right thing, not the wrong thing, not asking yourself, is this good or legal or permissible or acceptable or tolerable or normal? I can't get prosecuted by doing this. No, no. What's the wise thing to do? Really practically. If you grew up in a super alcoholic family home that messed your family up, then the best question to ask yourself is what's the wise thing for you to do about alcohol? Not is it right or is it wrong, but is it wise? Because you, above everybody, know. You've lived it. And so the question to begin to ask yourself, well, what's the wise thing for me to do? Not the right or the wrong. Ephesians 5.15 says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Here's how Andy says it in his book. In light of your past experiences and your current circumstances and your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for you to do? And then finally, the relationship question. What does love require of me? See, your mama probably taught you the golden rule. She got it from Jesus. Here's where Jesus said it. Matthew 7, 12 says, Do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. Jesus goes on in Matthew, uh, or in John 13, and says, Now I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. As I've demonstrated you love this way, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my followers. So what does love require of you in the moment that you're in? Friends, I wish the church asked that question more than anything. Because often the church takes a stance and a posture on bullet points and on hot button topics, forgetting that the hot button topics have real people. What does love require of me? That doesn't mean I change theology. It doesn't mean I change uh, being a person of conviction. But it does mean I'm a person of compassion also. And I'm both and, not either or. And so the challenge for the church and for you and for me is, okay, what what does love require of me? If If I'm a follower of Jesus, then what does that require in this moment for me to be and be about? And so these five questions... I think if you would put them on the front burner of your mind will actually help guide your conversations. And so here's what I want to leave us with. You want to be a person that has kind of that right posture. Memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding only, but commit your way to him. Submit to him. He'll make the path straight. He'll give you wisdom in the way that you're to go. Be at the right place internally to make the decisions that you need to make. Get the right kind of people around you. What if you ask better questions in order to help you make the decisions? You will always have regrets. We all do. But you are not limited to your life of being, living out of those regrets. Your regrets can remind you that you can actually make better decisions going forward. 
And so as we worship into this final song, I'm just going to invite you to kind of surrender this moment to God and to simply say, God, what's the takeaway for me? What do I need to own or hold on to? Maybe you've been searching and trusting the Lord with all your heart. You know what that starts with? A relationship with Jesus. Maybe the best, wisest decision you could ever make is to say yes to Jesus and to say, I need him. It's coming to the recognition that, God, you're really big and I'm not, and I need you. And so I want to surrender my life to you, the forgiveness for my sins and my brokenness, my regrets, and I want you to help lead me forward to live out of wisdom, to get better at this, so that you are wiser next year than you are even in this moment, and five years from now than you are even next year, that you begin to walk out wisdom. So in this song, just lift up a prayer. And ask God to show you what's that next step for you as you want to be a person who grows in wisdom. And so, Father, that's what we ask. That in this next five minutes, as we worship you, as we sing to you, as we align our hearts with you, would you whisper to us our next steps with wisdom? We want to be people who live with wisdom. We all got to make decisions, and we want to get better at it. And so would you go to work, Holy Spirit, helping us grow and develop that we might be wise people, we pray.
Come and tear down my walls And I am in your hands You are the promised land You are the king of my heart Chronicles 16.9 Your eyes range the earth to strengthen those who are fully committed. God, that's what we want. We want to be fully committed. To be abandoned to your heart completely. To the God who makes the ordinary extraordinary. Who's in the business of rebuilding ruins. In the business of creating light from dark. So friends, as one voice, I ask you, together, God. We sing to you. Make us a church, a heart, a people abandoned to your purpose, God. Let's sing together. Amen.
Would you pray with me? God, that's what we want, a heart abandoned to you, to trust in you with all our heart, to lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways submit to you, that you'll direct our paths, to be people of wisdom, to be people who bless others and are ourselves blessed because of having the right kind of posture with you, having the right kind of people around us, being people who are at the right kind of place in the decisions that we make. We seek you. We look to you. We love you. We thank you for being big enough for us to lean completely on. Continue to grow us and shape us and change us, mature us, to be everything you want us to be and nothing shy of that, we pray. Amen, amen. Hey, it's th thrilled to do life with you and, and again, whether you're online or here in the room, uh, thanks for partnering with us. I uh, wanted to give you an update. We are like $2,900 away from hitting our financial goal this last year and that's because of your generosity, so thank you very much. For that, uh, that'll put us like 275,000-ish uh, roundabout there that allows us to do everything that we're going to do. And I think even going into next year, we're building margin and getting ready to serve a lot of people in our city. We're thrilled about that. I want to also let you know uh, that a month from tonight uh, is going to be the last Sunday of July. And uh, we do have something kind of special planned for that night. For some of you who might be new, uh, you don't know about the loss of Pastor Brian a year ago, and that's coming up on a year, and we want to do something kind of special just to kind of remember uh, his influence so much into Element City Church. And, uh, and so we want to sing worship songs that were a favorite of his. We want to do a blessing uh, and kind of have some cool things that I think you'll enjoy. And, and so we just continue to pray for his family and, and, and all of that. And so if you are new here, uh, I invite you back next week. I'll be preaching again through the book of Habakkuk. And that for the whole month of July, we're also doing a cookout, I'm told, uh, because it's July 4th next Sunday. So we're doing like a cookout afterwards, so you can stick around for that if you want to be a part of that. If you are new, the 10-minute party starts at about one minute, and I would love to meet you back there. Um, and if you're online, you can fill out that connection card. You can go ahead and pre-order t-shirts, all that kind of stuff if you want over the next month. And I think that's it. You got to high-five at least two people on the way out. Uh, there is hand sanitizer if you want that. So, all right. Bless you all. We'll see you back next week.